Hello and welcome to the Vorthos Cast. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and I spent my 4th of July week off watching Season 3 of Stranger Things multiple times because Robin is the best. I'm Brian Dawes, and I spent my 4th of July weekend getting my butt kicked by Spirits on Super Smash Bros., Ultimate, and doing errands. A nice, relaxing, regular life. Jay, Carrie, and Ashley are all slackers and still have not returned from their vacation, so everyone should be angry at them and be furious. Uh, don't actually be angry and furious at them. They are they are all busy with other things tonight, uh, but the show is back after a week off for American Independence Day because that fell on a Thursday, and we don't record on holidays because we don't. <laughs> um, so, so we're back, and there's been a little bit of news in the last couple of weeks, the uh, the first major one was that we got the cover revealed for the next Greg Wiseman novel, War the Spark Forsaken. So that's going to be available later this year. And the cover, uh, once again done by Magali Villeneuve, features Liliana, Teo, Kaya, and a new person who, if you remember the concept art shown of her at Emerald City Comic Con months ago, is Rat. So she gets to actually be seen somewhere now. So that's neat. And uh, this novel's going to kind of pick up the loose threads from War of the Spark. The War of the Spark Ravnica kind of left us with a couple unresolved things. Bounty hunting. <laughs> yeah, so the guilds are charging some of the bolus conspirators with hunting down other bolus conspirators to prove their loyalty, which... Sounds like the kind of BS loyalty test that the guilds would give, because Niv-Mizzet's kind of a jerk in true Ravnica fashion. So uh, that book will be out later this year, so you can pre-order it now. I believe it's going to be hardcover again and then uh, on the ebook. So that'll be out later this year. We'll have more to talk about later. It's not tied to a set, so there should be more freedom in this book. I'm excited to see how this book is different than War of the Spark Ravnica because it's not tied to all these specific story points in a card set. So that'll be exciting. The next announcement is more of an announcement of announcement. <laughs> Saturday this week end is San Diego Comic-Con and Mark Rosewater's panel to talk about and finally announce archery this year's fourth quarter set. So at 6.30 p.m. Pacific time, he has a panel that is, I don't think, being streamed anywhere, but it's, uh, I believe it's going to be live tweeted by the Twitter accounts. And then once it's done, there will be an article that goes up on the mothership shortly after containing all the information that gets told there. So we'll, we'll learn the name of the set. We'll probably get a bunch of art. We'll probably get a bunch of info. Hopefully we get some insight into the themes and the world building and the Planeswalker characters and all that fun stuff. So pay attention to the end of this week. Um, it is worth noting because it happens on Saturday and we record on Thursdays. The panel will happen on Saturday. We'll have an episode on Monday. The Monday episode right after will not have our discussion of the panel because of our recording schedule. So we'll be... A week and a couple days after, as per usual, when they drop information on the weekend, because we can't control time. 
and I don't think we'd want to. I've seen enough time travel movies to know not to do that stuff. Always messy. It never works the way you want it to. Even Back to the Future cannot keep its theory of time travel straight enough to just kind of hand wave success for everyone. And then a piece of community news. So MTG Salvation was going to shut down after many, many years being the largest magic message board for a while and uh, was still working. And uh, so it was going to shut down and then they finally found a buyer. So it's going to keep going. But a bunch of the staff there had already started another project, uh, MTG Nexus, which is a new message board not owned by Curse, who is uh, who, who owned MTG Salvation and, and bought them a bunch of years back. So, so mtgnexus.com is an entirely fan-owned website, message board. It's got deck building resources, card galleries. Um, MTGS had always had one of the best preview sourcing and uh, preview gallery lists. Uh, they've brought that over to Nexus. A lot of good people there. Uh, a bunch of people I worked with when I did some uh, content management for MTGS in, in the recent past. You can head over to mtgnexus.com if you're looking for another online community that is really striving to foster positivity and community and build something really great and wonderful for Magic fans. Nexus is looking to be um, a nice alternative community to somewhere super toxic like Reddit or somewhere super small and niche like Tumblr or somewhere really fractured like Twitter. Uh, so if, if that sounds like a community you want to be part of, um, head over to mtgnexus.com and join. They're, uh, they're also going to be publishing articles uh, sometime in the future. I don't know exactly when that is happening, but... Uh, it's, I think it's going to be neat. It's going to be a fun new content site. They have a lot of great community tools. So I'm excited about that project and just wanted to promote that because a lot of my friends are involved in that. I think it's going to be cool and yay. And then finally, we've got some slow weeks coming up without a story for Corset 2020. There isn't a whole lot to talk about. The next novel is not going to be out till later. What we're going to do is tackle something that people have been asking about over the last whole bunch of months, basically since Dominaria was over. Um, and we are going to do a three-part series looking at the Weatherlight Saga. Um, it's, it's an era of storytelling that a lot of modern fans aren't terribly familiar with, um, especially if you've come into Magic in the last four years, you've known Magic Origins, and you've known the Gatewatch, and you've known these Planeswalkers, but uh, you don't necessarily know all their pasts. So we're going to take a look at one of the big first continuous storytelling sagas in Magic, um, the story of the Weatherlight that started in Tempest and culminated in Apocalypse, uh, carried over multiple blocks, and... Uh, so we're gonna we're gonna do that for three weeks, and hopefully catch everyone up with a whole bunch of history on Urza and Gerard, and Volrath and Yogmoth, and unfortunately Commodore Guff. <laughs> hey, but the unfortunately Commodore Guff part also means I get to gush about Christina of the Woods a little bit, and they get mad because she gets killed, but then gush a little bit because of Tevish Sot, but then gets mad because he's the one who bridges her, and it's only so Urza can kill him, and it's very unglamorous, and 
See, I've already started. <laughs> and I get to gush about Illidomri. Oh, yes. Yeah. Elodomri is, for what it's worth, a really cool character. We'll talk about why in the coming weeks. So that's a thing a lot of people have been looking forward to. So I'm excited for us to finally get there and, and really kind of dig into some historical stuff. We haven't done any good backstory summary stuff in a very long time. Uh, we've been pretty busy tackling a lot of the story content and all these card sets. So that'll be, I think... A fun little series. So this week we have a couple of listener questions we want to cover. Uh, so the first one is from Ectocooler Ranch. And the question is, is it possible that Bolas controlled the Demir agent from off-plane? This is uh, referring to the Demir agent from the first Gathering Storm story. Uh, any examples of spells being cast onto other planes? Not sure where Urza stood to collapse Urza's realm, or if the Eye of Ugin was just passive magic. So interplanar magic is complicated the eye of ugin is a good point it is set up with a way to communicate with soren and ugin if nahiri needs to bring that back to zendikar sounds like it works like the planar beacon that Ral set up with nizmizit yeah it's we're never given any metaphysics metaphysics of it but uh Ral's beacon actually functions a lot like the mox beacon that ravidel built on korondor to lure planeswalkers in for the planeswalker war an event we still know almost nothing about so we, we've had a lot of artificially enhanced magic uh the soul traps on mirrodin that mevnark built were another big one they were built on mirrodin and grabbed a bunch of people from across the multiverse and yoinked them to mirrodin and we don't know how they survived but they did and they were somehow sent back by slow bad the goblin who got a planeswalker spark from glissas when she died it was a whole thing anyway and slow bad gave up his spark to send all the people who had been brought to mirrodin back to their homes so like that's a thing and then we know from ugin's backstory that the Immortal Sun was designed to drag Nicobolus to Ixalan through the Blind Eternities as a way to enhance Azor's Hyromancy. So we, we have a lot of artificial things that can bloop magic through the multiverse and through the Blind Eternities. I don't know how much... I, well, I, I guess I should also say, obviously, the Eldrazi do stuff because they kind of sit on the barrier between planes and the Blind Eternities. I've always wondered if Eldrazi can, like... Like, so Ugin uses the metaphor of a hand in a pond, where we're only seeing the hand, the rest of the Eldrazi is still outside of the pond, beyond our understanding. Um, but, you know, people have two hands, and they could put two hands in two different ponds. So I'm wondering, like, if an Eldrazi is into a plane, can they also be into another plane somewhere else? I don't know. That's only tangential to this. Uh, so the, the actual first question is, is it possible that Bolas controlled the Demir agent to attack Niv-Mizzet from off-plane? Like, I don't know. I think pre-mending, he probably would have had that capacity. Yeah, and that, that was what I was going to mention as well. A lot of the examples that we said a minute ago all happened before the mending, so who knows what the limitations are now. My first thought was that maybe he just infiltrated, but then he infiltrated as a humanoid of some sort but then that brings into question well i mean rao has been kind of keeping tabs on people entering and leaving ravnica so 
Oh, yeah, that's that's a good call. Project Lightning Bug is able to track people through the blind eternities. But again, that is another artifact that does that, but is magically enhanced. I don't know, it's complicated. Yeah, we we never get full metaphysics on how any of this stuff works, so we have to just go with the it's magic thing and go with that. So, like, there's no definite answer because we don't write the lore. Well, I mean, Jay does, but... Well, he doesn't really write <laughs> yeah, the know, lore. I know that. That was wrong. <laughs> okay. So it, it's it's weird. and it, There's no 100% answer that we can give because it hasn't actually been laid out for us. I don't think there's ever an example of a planeswalker or mage or someone on one plane casting a spell that affects another plane. Other, uh, other than like portals, but again, that is a weird specific magical phenomenon. Yeah, Generally, people can enchant things, or they can cast spells that have long-reaching effects on people, after, even after the, the Planeswalker leaves the plane that the spell was cast. But yeah, we, we don't have any examples of someone casting a spell from one plane that affects somebody on another plane at the time of casting. So so the real answer is, uh, at least what we've seen from Bolas in the past, is that he can basically reprogram people's brains like this. So he just needed to show up on Ravnica to alter this Demir agent's brain, and then he can leave and do whatever, and the agent is still going to carry out Bolus's mission. Uh, Bolus can also be hiding on plane. He is capable of illusion magic. So uh, in Alara, he went around stoking war as a child, and and warned about things and watched things and instigated conflicts he shows up to ral in the third story as a, a dude as an old dude shape changing appears to be in his repertoire as well old chromium so so bolus doesn't need to be off plane i don't think to do any of this uh whether he can or not is uncertain it would be interesting so like i lean toward doubtful yeah, I, I don't think so. I don't think he's controlling people from off-plane, because I think he's controlling people with a kind of pre-programmed set of actions. Well, actually talk about something else like that later, because he can also be on-plane as an illusion or a shape-shifted form and control someone directly. I think those are both more likely than him doing anything from off-plane. So our second question is hey Vorthoses, with core 2020 out i have a question this elementals matter to chandra thing is completely out of the blue right additionally why did they bring back jaya if they want didn't want to use her for sweet burn spell flavor texts thanks for everything and that is from mana symbol i'm going to answer the first part and then let you go off on the second part because i know you have feelings about that the elementals matter to chandra thing is likely just a continuation of the ongoing um, affection that she shows toward Nyssa. A lot has been hinted at the fact that um, Chandra's very, very close with Nyssa, and Nyssa likes to make elementals. So I I'm thinking that that is a, a lot aimed at protecting Nyssa's creatures, and if probably some functionality, they wanted some added functionality with that, with there being a very powerful Nyssa in standard. But... I found it weird that there was no Nyssa in this core set to go along with it. We got Vivian instead, but that doesn't mean that Nyssa might not have something going forward in the next set, but we don't know. But I, I'm leaning toward, it's not completely out of the blue, but it's not something that anyone, I, I wouldn't have anticipated it 
going into the set because up until this point, Chandra has been a lot more focused on dealing direct damage. She had the one six mana Planeswalker card on from Oath of the Gatewatch that made elementals, but I believe that's the only real time that we've seen her summon elementals on her card other than the random Chandra Spitfire cards or things of that nature. Yeah, so she already had a card that made elementals four years ago, which is my main point. Is So this isn't something new. It's playing up an aspect that's appeared on a card before. She has had a series of elementals associated with her before. So um, it's something that's existed as kind of a minor Chandra theme uh, as uh, summoning fire creatures. So it's not out of the blue. They're just playing it up stronger in this set because this set has a broader elementals theme in uh, blue, red, and green. So tying those abilities together lets those three Chandra cards interact with each other in neat ways and is a way to kind of diversify Chandra's cards and let her do something still flavorfully appropriate but a little bit different than just having various numbers of burn damage on her Planeswalker abilities. So I like it. I think it's neat. Her art, the uncommon having like one little elemental in her hand and then the rare having two large elementals kind of behind her shoulders and then her mythic card having all the fire around her is a cool visual thing that they got to kind of play with. So then the second part of this question is, why did they bring Jaya back if they didn't want to use her for sweet burn spell flavor texts? And I've done my Jaya rant before. I don't like what they've done with Jaya. We have gotten Jaya Ballard flavor text in Dominaria, and uh, uh, a couple of the master sets have introduced new Jaya flavor text too. I, I believe Eternal Masters and... Masters 25 both had new Jaya pieces. Jaya text is a core part of Magic's flavor text history. There will be new Jaya flavor text. As long as there are cards that don't take place in standard, that are red, that are burn spells, which is like pretty much every set, there is going to be opportunities for new Jaya flavor text. Part of Chandra's creation was to... Do a more good aligned Jaya. So Chandra has a lot of good burn spell flavor text too. It is not the same tone as Jaya's. And um, I, I do think some of Jaya's more recent flavor texts aren't quite Jaya-y enough for me. Jaya still does get burn spell flavor text though. And the idea of bringing her back was largely... Jaya as a character is a character who is much loved, and they had a character, Malaluti, who was doing a functional thing in Chandra's story, so why not let Jaya do the functional thing? That's kind of the line of thinking of why Jaya is back. I don't agree with how she functions. I don't think that function that Luti was playing is the right role for Jaya, but she is back and she does get burn spell flavor text. Uh, Chandra is also here, and Chandra also gets burn spell flavor text. It is not a competition, and they can coexist. So I, I don't see an issue with that, personally. All right, then our feature this week is looking at the next three chapters of The Gathering Storm, the Ravnica prequel stories by Django Wexler. So the last three weeks, we've had chapters four, five, and six. They're excellent, by the way. If you're not reading these, so uh, good. go sign up on Random House's website. They get emailed in a newsletter. Everyone, I think, should be reading these. So if you haven't already, go ahead. And if you have, let's go. So chapter four, Rao wakes up after dreaming of his past and his 
meeting with Nicobolas, which we don't know exactly what happened with that yet. I'm sure it'll be filled in later. But uh, so he wakes up and, and he has been tasked with meeting with guild representatives to try and organize them to meet all together, get all 10 guilds to rewrite the guild pact and make Niv-Mizzet the new living guild pact because Jace ain't there and is being a slacker. And once he completes this mission, he's going to be given the the mantle of leadership of the Izzet. So he has he's given a great incentive to make sure this happens. Yeah, Ral is literally going to get everything he wants out of this. So he wants this all to go right. So uh, he goes to an alley behind a... Uh, what was the broken toy box? Was it... It was, a, it was a brothel slash bar. So he's going to meet with a representative of the Demir named Hellas Vitria. And uh, so he shows up in the rain and he sees a figure, a dark figure on the other end of the alleyway and says, oh, guess that's my, my contact and lightning flashes. And then he sees that the body of this person that he was supposed to meet has been nailed to the brick wall behind her and he's like yikes and then it turns out this little homeless kid sitting next to him is actually lazav in the form of a child who has killed this person who was meeting with ral and uh ral is appropriately unsettled and prepared to fight and lazav is like hey listen I just want to talk right now because I am being accused of trying to assassinate Niv-Mizzet and that's not something I authorized. So I'm trying to get to the bottom of, of what the hell is going on in my own guild. And Ral is like, oh, that's kind of neat because that is mysterious. And I have heard reports that there are agents inside every guild. Could even be yours, Lazav. Uh, so Lazav agrees to help Ral out, which Lazav does not like people poking around in his business. And Nicobolus is poking around in his business and he don't like it. Um, so he gets to be kind of a reluctant ally here, uh, which is fun. One thing to note is that Lazav becomes more, super intense when he talks about the Demir being infiltrated. The point where Ral get or Ral gets super nervous about it because the intensity coming off of him. It's like an anime where the the guy is talking and you see all the the people get really really small, and it's that that that's that's how I envision it because Zav was super upset about it. Oh yeah, he's talking about going a purge. Yeah, purging his operatives. Uh, he is super paranoid because this does not happen to the Demir. They do not get infiltrated, and he is freaked out. So then we cut to uh, Vraska's moment, and uh, she is back at Svogthos, the old guild hall that was in the original Ravnica block, and then when Gerard took over the guild, uh, had had moved elsewhere. And and so Vraska is bringing it back to Svogthos, and uh, she is quelling the rest of the Devkarin resistance by taking operatives and petrifying them into a throne of corpses and i appreciate so much <laughs> the humor of this scene as vraska is like this idea started out great and now that i'm actually putting this chair together it's really impractical because <laughs> she is like trying to fit uh this elf into 
the side of the chair um and like her servants are like twisting and contorting the elf to make them fit and then like right at the last moment as she's petrifying it one of the elf uh the elf breaks one of their arms free and kind of flays it out so the elf is like almost perfect and then there's just like random stone arm just poking out the side of the chair and Frasca's like hmm and she like knocks it off and breaks it off and she's like whatever that's good enough uh, and then she like sits down and is like nah, this is really uncomfortable and she asks one of her servants to go get her a cushion and it's like there's this kind of really dark humor of well she is killing the resistance who would try to usurp her back and turning them into a throne and it's actually a project that is so impractical and uncomfortable and not worth her time and it just it's so funny to me just so we're clear all of these people that she's setting up to be her throne are most of the are I'm pretty sure all of them were would be assassins trying to kill her. Yeah, like literally people trying to kill her and undermine her, and like I don't. It's it's really funny. I also find it hilarious the fact that the Golgari has access to all these paralysis mushrooms and things of that nature, and she never thinks to use anything like that to try to make sure that they're they're like complacent in their form shaping when she's putting them into the throne. This was, like, she explains, like, the, this was not a very well-thought-out project, and she kind of, <laughs> like, I get the sense that she kind of regrets starting it, but, like, feels compelled to finish it, because, like, she can't stop and admit it was a bad idea. Like, it's it's so funny. She, she's a queen now. She can't be wrong, right? Exactly. <laughs> One of her problems, though, is that there is this weird gap in her memory that she feels uncertain about, where she feels like something is off, and uh, she has... An albino crawl friend named Zedek, who is a crawl mind mage, which is a super rare ability among their species. And he kind of scuttles in and is like eavesdropping. Vraska, like, I can I can sense and hear all the dissonance in your mind. And I think I figured out why. There's this section of your memory that has been tethered off. And Vraska is like, oh no. What the hell? Who's been messing with my mind? And Zedek is like, actually, this section of your mind has been siloed off with such care and skill that it was likely intentional and doesn't bear any of the psychic scars of a forced amnesia. So it is likely that you consented to this act. And Frosty is like, what? And realizes that, like, if this is something that she consented to, like, what would make her willingly throw part of her memory away and throw part of her mind away. So she gets really curious and is like, yo, Zeta, can you undo this? And he's like, probably yes, but I do not have the power to put it back. So I'm not going to do this unless you really want me to, because it might unleash some bad things. And so, so he restores her memory, which Jace was supposed to do. And I still don't agree with this being the moment that it happens, but whatever. It's is what happens. And uh, so she remembers her time with Jace, uh, the Nicol Bolas thing, the way she changed. And she starts to feel bad because she like kicked an Azorius messenger off a bridge earlier. And like part of her is like, they absolutely deserve it for beating the hell out of me when I was younger. But then she was like, ah, but did that specific person really deserve it? What would, you know, was that actually the right thing to do? Could I have been more compassionate? Could I have been a better leader there? And like, 
she has all this internal turmoil and she realizes, hmm, really should talk about this guild summit because if Bolas is really going to come for Ravnica and Jace isn't here and where is Jace and I don't know what's happening and this is all very scary. So I need to focus on what I had learned on Ravnica and probably try and work things out. So uh, the fourth story ends with Raoul meeting Hikara, the emissary from the Rakdos, who is so delightful. I'm so happy she's not, like, just mostly dead now um, <laughs> for this story. She's so fun and so delightful, and she gets to be the emissary from the Rakdos basically because she wanted to and cut off everybody's fingers who said she shouldn't be the emissary. So, haha, she's doing what she wants. And she is flamboyant and bombastic and so fun. And then a zombie shambles in and grants the message that Frasco wants to have a meeting and then promptly dies on the floor. Not just dies, like it it decomposes, it, like it it loses all of its integrity and like falls into a puddle onto its floor and it's disgusting and it's hilarious. It's very Golgari. So that's the fourth story. Uh, the fifth story is pretty tight. It almost entirely deals with Ral and Hakara traveling to Vitugazi to talk to Imara and try and recruit the Selesnia to this. So they start walking through Selesnian markets and Hakara is very easily distracted and unsettles many of the <laughs> vendors. There is, there's one uh, vendor selling a fruit and uh, Hakara is like, oh yeah, that fruit is great. I've learned to kill so many people with it. And the vendor is like, excuse me? <laughs> She's trying to like sell food. And it's like, wait, it's some murder weapon. And that's very funny. And uh, so like uh, Ral begins with the memory of a dog he had with his old boyfriend um, before he moved to the 10th district and joined the Izzet and like likened Hakara to a dog on a leash that he has to like constantly drag back to him and is like a huge pain in the ass because she has like no attention span. And then he meets up with uh, Lavinia, who has Lavinia is like the perfect noir paranoid cop in this, in all these stories. Um, so she, she talks to Ral and is like, be careful. Everyone could be infiltrated. Trust nobody, not even me. And Ral's like, don't worry, I don't. He and Hakara meet with Amara, and uh, Amara tells them all about the issues inside the guild currently, um, about Tristani's three voices being dissonant with each other and not agreeing with each other, and that kind of decision paralysis preventing the guild from really doing anything. Uh, securities beefed up within the Selesnia because uh, Glademaster Garrow is getting paranoid and the guild just doesn't really know what to do because their leadership has fallen apart um, and they kind of have a flat hierarchy where nobody is the boss. So nobody has the authority to direct the guild. So they're just kind of lost and confused while they're having their little summit, Ral and Amara and Hakara. A servant girl who's been like serving them tea, I believe, um, pulls out a knife and attacks Amara. And so a fight ensues, and then a bunch of guards show up at the door and say, and start talking about how Ralzarek has murdered Amara. It's clearly still alive because Hakara killed this servant girl. Yeah, turns out Hakara, who 
when when they they had to give up all their weapons when they went to this meeting and Hakara's like dancing around with her the bells on her hat jingling and is like I don't got no weapons and everyone's like mm, but you're Rakdos and she's like geez, look I got nothing it turns out she is like a blade witch and can just like flick of her fingers create blades um out of thin air that disappears quickly it's like sleight of hand card tricks but with knives. So she she kills the servant girl before she can assassinate Amara. And um, all of a sudden it's panic mode because there was clearly there is foul play. And they suspect that Garo is trying to lead a military coup within the Selesnia and take out Amara and kind of seize control of the guild and militarize it. Um, so they go get their weapons back and do lots of cool fighting. There's some neat action sequences and... Uh, and they find Garo, and they fight, and Hakara's fighting a bunch of guards, and Ral's fighting a bunch of guards, and then Garo, and then Amara and this other animist elf have a, are having a proxy fight through two elementals, and uh, the heroes come out victorious, but as Garo is being defeated, he starts shouting to Ral and talking as if he were Nicol Bolas. Uh, Ral could tell something was not right in his eyes or with his voice. And this kind of ties back to the question we answered earlier is, is Bolas controlling people from off plane or on plane? And this is a situation where it sounds like Bolas might be nearby controlling this person's mind and speaking through them to Ral in real time. And that's terrifying. That kind of one ups the Demir spy thing from the first story. So we've, we've kind of have an escalation of Bolas's infiltrations. And Amara is like, well, heck. We need to be part of this guild summit because clearly things are not well on Ravnica. So the next story starts with Raoul um, leaning over the edge or observing the skies from um, the, the deck of a skyship on Ravnica. He mentions the fact that um, it's a clear day and there are a lot of tourists um, looking out and being as risky as they dare. Um, to view different things, and uh, Lavinia sneaks up, and they discuss um, the fact that um, Garo was, or that the Selesnya was infiltrated by um, Bolas, and he tells um, Lavinia about all of that. Um, I can't remember what else they discussed, because um, I know there was something else. They talk about Vraska's past, so they kind of go over, like... Um... Her being an assassin, her escaping out of prison, and then that leads Ral to believe she was a planeswalker. Ral knows she's a planeswalker, and he tells that to Lavinia, and Lavinia's like, hmm, interesting, because we've had, like, the police report from the prison beatings that Vraska got uh, said that she just kind of disappeared mid-police brutality and was never heard from for a bunch of years. Um, and I, I believe we actually get a date that that happened 20 years ago. So that's interesting because how old was Vraska then? Like we already knew, like she mentions that Vraska wasn't really part of the Golgari at that point and was just kind of rounded up with a bunch of Golgari thugs because racism basically. And so like how old is Vraska? Is she like 40? Is she like 30? Was she like 10 when she was beaten? Was she like 20? Was she like 15? I don't know. Um, so that's interesting. I believe we got the impression, oh, I, I always got the impression that she was moderately, she was probably in her early to late, or early to mid-teens when she was first arrested, because the way that she explained it in the story, um, 
with was it Masarek? I would have to go like I'm interested in going back and reading now. Yeah. Yeah, but it's one of it was one of the stories where she's explaining her background and I always got the impression that she came off sounding a little bit young when it happened. So I would expect her to be somewhere in her mid to late thirties. Yeah, I'm I'm curious. I'm gonna pay attention. Like <laughs> y'all listeners know how much we love when dates are for things are given in stories, so we obviously get excited about this detail. Um so yeah, so they discuss Frasca and because Ral is gonna go to a meeting uh, on on a on a twisty bridge above a big hole in the ground that leads down to Golgari land, and uh, they have a uh, kind of an uncomfortable meeting where Hakara, by the way, who is by by the way, Hakara's like super hot for Vraska. She's super hot for <laughs> other people earlier in earlier stories. Like, congrats, we have another canon bisexual character, which is awesome. <laughs> Wrigley bits indeed. Um, yeah, like <laughs> she's talking about Braska's tentacles and is like, I just want to grab them. All right. And she like, already she's talking to Braska and is like, Hey, you want to be mates? And she's just like f- openly flirting with Braska in like a weird Rakdos way, and it's endearing and it's very nice for me to read because girls are great. It's 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 hilariously awesome. Like I thought I couldn't like a character more than I liked Arathia and. Hakara is outdoing it, and it's it's wonderful. She's so good. So Vra- I mean, so Vraska and Ral kind of strike a little uneasy alliance because it is very scary, and they and they they both learn that they both know Jace, and uh, Ral continues to get a little jealous of Jace's success. When that meeting is over, Rao receives a letter from Tomek about guild business, which is the thing they agreed never to talk about in their relationship. So Rao is super worried. He goes home and Tomek is pacing and super nervous and Rao tries to calm him down. And Tomek is like, Tomek is so sweet. So touching. The entire, this entire next scene where Rao and Tomek are basically having a heart to heart about Tomic needing Rao's help to possibly get Tesa out of jail, but he he's nervous to even bring it up because he doesn't want to jeopardize their relationship, and it's very heart heartwarming and very touching in a way that we don't normally get in magic stories. And like I'm not one for romantic novels or anything like this, but the way this was executed made me feel very warm inside, and it was it was a great way to do it. Oh, it was so good. Uh, I am not the biggest romance fan. Like, I I kind of kind of take or leave romance most of the time in the fiction I read. But like, if it's gay, I'm super excited, and this is super gay. And like, like it's right. Like, Tomic is sitting here worried because like, I'm probably for the good of Ravnica, I'm probably gonna have to like break our one rule. And is like, like he's literally worried that Ral is gonna dump him, and that's like that anxiety is real. Yeah. It goes really well, and like they're so happy. And like as soon as he gets reassurance and validation from Ral, Tomek settles down, and that's very sweet. Um, and they are just the most adorable couple. So they agree that like, hey, something has to be done. Vraska, Hakara, Kaya, Ral, and Tomek all meet with each other, and because they need to get a plan, because to- Tomek wants Ral to order the is it to assault. Orzhov to draw away defenses so Kaya can kill attack and kill the Obzadat. Ral is like, hmm, that's not such a great idea. 
And so they work and try to start to figure something else out. How that whole plan will go down will be for the next story, I guess. It's exciting. We're getting... So this is kind of the team that we saw at the beginning of War of the Spark Ravnica. Of course, that was the team that left Hakara dead and Vraska fleeing the plane and Tomek was back with the Orzhov and Ral and Kaya were freaking out. And knowing that that's where this ends is like... It's fun foreknowledge of how disastrous this noir story is going to go, which is typical of noir stories. So, like, it's not... Things don't go well or end well in noir stories. That's not how they work. But, like, being sure of where it's going to end up is kind of interesting. So, I'm, I'm excited to see... Like, these characters interacting together is great. Uh, the characters individually is great. Django is just doing an outstanding job on these stories. And I can't wait to read more. Agreed. I'm right there with you. Um, I, I had really middling expectations coming into the these stories, but Django has just been amazing. Um, I've been really impressed, so I also cannot wait for more. So that will do it for this episode. So final thoughts time. Oh God, I just want to learn about archery already, <laughs> which is like... We, we've been in preview week hellscape for seemingly forever now, and I'm just sitting here like, yes, give me more. <laughs> and I'm greedy, I guess. My final thoughts are that as much as I love the stories, I do have questions about metaphysics here because I was under the impression that Jace implanted false memories in her mind so that she had something to, to occupy the space so it didn't just look there was like there was a blank hole there. So that upon inspection by Bolas, it would like it didn't appear that there was anything there. If this Zedek guy could find this this these memories, miss or see this hole in Vraska's mind, how could Bolas have missed it? Like that that's yeah. that's that's the one thing that I just can't shake. It's just this whole thing seems really, really weird to me and I don't know if it's artistic license they just gave them or if this was something that they planned, but it just doesn't seem to, it doesn't make sense to me. And I, I, I need, it's the one nagging thing that I can't shake with this, the story so far. Yeah. And this is part of my kind of discomfort of why isn't Jace the one doing this thing? That's what was set up in Ixalan. So I I don't know. I don't know why it's different. Um, I don't know if we'll ever know. But for now, it is what it is. And now we've read the story about it. So I guess we're just kind of moving forward from there. So, yeah. I mean, that's that's a thing for Vorthos's to discuss, I guess. And speaking of Vorthos's discussing things, if you are a fan of the show and would like to help support us, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthos cast and donate to keep the show going today. Everyone who supports us gets access to our Discord community where we have Orthoses from around the world discussing things exactly like what we are discussing right now about this story. And uh, we have a great time on Discord. We have a lot of fun people there. We have uh, a lot of good discussions there and a good time just hanging out and loving magic and loving other things. So if that's something that interests you, you can head over to Patreon and uh, we appreciate everyone who supports us and keeps this show going because we can't make it without everyone helping out. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.